The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Westway, and I'm glad you're here. There are two things um, I want to encourage you to do uh, this week. There are a couple opportunities for you to be generous. Um, one of them is... Um, is on Christmas Eve, we're asking you to bring some sort of shelf-stable, microwavable food um, that we're going to donate to the Carpenter Center um, after, after next Sunday. So one of the things that the Carpenter Center does here in town is delivers meals to people. And like this past week, they weren't able to take meals out because of all of the weather things. So one of the things that they like to do is provide things that people have in their home. So when they can't deliver meals, they already have them with them. So you can help us out and be a part of that um, this Christmas Eve by bringing some items to share like peanut butter crackers or something that's easily easy to heat, um, just food so that people can have in their homes. And we encourage you to do that. And the second way is just give generously um, to Westway Christian Church. And we do lots of things with, um, with your finances. One of the things that, that your finances allow us to do is something we did this past week. Um, some of you may know who Brandon Yule is. He's the pastor at Bethel Baptist Church here in Scotts Bluff. And he's been recently diagnosed with Poems Syndrome. I had never heard of that until this week. And it's a rare blood disorder that damages nerves and affects other parts um, of the body. And they've been trying to get to Mayo Clinic and, and just deal with all of the things that, that go in place when you, when you have a chronic illness like this. It came on very, very quickly. Um, so our church, along with several other churches um, in Scotts Bluff, donated some money to the family to help them to be able to make their trip and make their travel. So that's what your money goes to. If you ever wonder, like when I give to Westway Christian Church, kind of what happens to it besides things like heat, which we all like on mornings like today. Um, we do ministry with the money and the gifts and the generosity that you give. So we just ask you to continue to do that. So when those opportunities come, we can just step in and we can serve people, um, not just within our own body, but people within the community, other pastors and stuff like that. Um, I want to encourage you to open your Bible this morning to Matthew uh, chapter 11 and Isaiah 50. We're going to be looking at two different sets of texts, Matthew 11 and then Isaiah 50. And also, you know, the easiest way, we say this every week, every week, one of the easiest things to do is to just open up version on your phone and you'll see all of the texts in there um, and follow along with us. So my question for you this morning is, what makes you weary? What makes you weary? I asked this question on Facebook this week and in a couple different Facebook groups that I'm in and... Um, I got, some, I got some great responses. Um, someone said, a lack of sleep makes me weary, which would make sense. Um, someone said, the death of a family member this year and all of the family issues that were brought about by that. Also, there's a cancer diagnosis within the same family. I keep holding on to God has this, but I'm not going to lie and say I haven't thought about just giving up. One person talked about overcommitment makes them weary. And this is the season for overcommitment, right? If you're like our family, you, you have something every single weekend. And no matter how much you tell yourself going into middle of November, you say, this is the year that I'm not going to do that. Like it just falls short, doesn't it? No matter how good our plans are of not giving into doing something every single weekend in the month of December, it just falls short. So we are overcommitted. 
Another friend of mine um, said, a year-long physical recovery when I can't see an end to the pain. And this person lost her husband in the last year. She said, learning to do everything without my husband since he went home to the Lord. Someone else said, the weight of life's demands and the lie that I'm not doing enough. Several people talked about issues with, um, with their kids and, and different medical issues that they face. And one of the things that I saw, I had people send me texts and, and different messages and stuff like that, is, is, it is it is endless. The things that we deal with, the people, things that you are dealing with in your life, they are endless. And it's in that endlessness that makes us feel weary. It makes us feel exhausted. It makes us feel tired. And I wonder if we were kind of scratch, the, scratch through the surface a little bit and dig a little bit deeper behind those things, I think we would see some spiritual truths taking place in the midst of that weariness as well. I think we would see that some of our rootedness or our, some of our weariness is rooted in waiting for God's justice. We look at the world and, and we see how things are going. And again, not just, not just out there, but in our own lives. And we see things go wrong and we are weary for God's justice. I think some of our weariness is rooted in waiting for God to restore us. Um, we talked about that last week. Like, I don't think I'm the only one that has looked back on my life, someone who became a Christian um, more than 20 years ago, and thought to myself, man, I, j- I just thought I would be farther along. I thought I would, I thought I would be over some of this. I, I thought that some of the things that I deal with and some of the sins that I wrestle through in my life, like I, I just thought this would have been easier at 25 or 26 years in. I think that's probably true for some of you. Um, something else that I think our, rooted, our weariness is rooted in is just in the customs and the behaviors of the world. So now we see the way the world operates and we just, we just get so sick of it. We get so tired of seeing these things happen. And then there's sin. And I had a few friends put this, like, I'm weary of sin. And for some of us, that's the sinfulness of other people. Probably all of us, in fact. Every single one of us here has, has sort of suffered through the sinfulness of other people. Other people have done things and we have to face the consequences. We have to, we have to deal with the, the avalanche of pain that comes when other people sin. And then ultimately, our own sinfulness. Right? When we, when we think about what, what makes us weary the most, and I think this is something that's probably the most frustrating of all of these, of all of these things, is just our own sinfulness. Because at least, at least when bad things happen or, or we're waiting for this justice or, or we're waiting for all of this other stuff and we, we see them happening, like those are the things that are kind of beyond our control, Right? So there's some element that we have in our own mindsets, in our own hearts, where, where we can at least rest on, well, that, I didn't do anything to deserve that. No one did anything to deserve that. It just kind of happened. So there's this little bit of comfort. But the problem is, when it comes to our own sin, we own that. Like, it's all on us. My sin is my sin wasn't caused by anyone else, regardless of what our culture wants to say. And that's where our, the, we, the customs and behaviors of our world, where we want to blame our sinfulness. We want to blame our choices on other people. Like at the end of the day, I'm just left with my sin. 
And that's very wearying. And when I think about, when I think about my own sinfulness, um, I think about ultimately the root of my sinfulness is just a lack of satisfaction with the things that God has provided for me. If I were to, if I were to draw a tree, and we did this a few weeks ago in our Galatians study, if I, were to, if I were to draw a tree and, and draw fruit on it, and I, and I were to put, um, I would name that fruit with, with the way that my sin manifests itself. I would get down and I would look at the root. And ultimately, the root of my sin is a lack of satisfaction in what God has given me. I just don't think it's enough. I don't think it's good enough personally. And it's this wrote this down, it's a wicked combination of pride, arrogance, idolatry, and covetousness. When I think about my own sin, something that I would encourage you to do, maybe today, certainly this week, is spend some time asking God to reveal to you what the root is of your sin. See, because now that, now that I kind of know this, I can, I can trust God in it. I, I know what to talk to God about. And I think sometimes what we want to do is we want to deal with the fruit of our sin and not the root of our sin. But the root of my sin is pride, arrogance, idolatry, and covetousness. And, and here's one way that this has revealed itself um, just in the last two weeks. Um, I think about 10 days ago, I got, um, I got a new phone. Because my old phone was about two and a half years old. And its primary sin was it was paid for. Um, it was full of pictures I rarely looked at. It was filled with music I rarely listened to and apps that I rarely clicked on. Like that was the sin of my old phone. So I, so I got a new phone because that's what we do, right? We get new phones. And for the first day and a half, that new phone like, like sat on my desk and sat on my coffee table at home and I was waiting for it to do something. You ever been there? Like I'm waiting for my new phone to justify its existence to my soul. Like I'm, I'm waiting for it to, to fill this gap. See my sinfulness in the midst of all of this? And the best, the best I got, this was the very best I got. About three days after I got my new phone, I had to wipe my old phone so I could send it in. And I picked up my old phone and I was kind of like, it felt like I was typing on a postage stamp because it was so small, right? Like it, it felt so small and so useless. And there was this little thing in my brain that soared. This bit of satisfaction that I was longing for. And then I realized this new thing that I had was just a phone. And it actually provides no new satisfaction because it does all the old things, the other things that my old phone did, except now I have more room on it for pictures I rarely look at, for music I rarely listen to, and apps that I rarely use. See, this is, this is how sin works. This is how our sinfulness works. It tricks us into thinking that we find satisfaction in things, and, and that may, that's just me. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's not you. So I encourage you this week, like dig down and see what the root is of your, of your sin. And for me, it's, it's idolatry and it's pride and it's arrogance and it's, it's finding satisfaction in things that are, that are not God. 
It's the reality that like our entire economy is built on dissatisfaction. Have you ever thought about that? Like everything that we are involved in engaged in, especially this time of year, is bent on your dissatisfaction. Finding the thing that's going to make you happy. And I think Paul would tell us that, that it's this kind of thinking, that things satisfy us, that are the customs and the behaviors of this world. And as Christians, we're called to, we're called to live differently than that. And it's not that getting new things is a sin. If you got a new, if you got a new phone this year, great. If, if your family is one of the ones that's going to walk out into your driveway and see a new $90,000 truck this year, you're going to be paying for it for the next seven years. But getting new things, like, like that's not wrong. What's wrong is when we look to those things to give us satisfaction. And see, when they don't, they make us weary, they make us bored. They make us frustrated, they make us angry, and they make us then want to find the new thing. Like, you should try and buy, find a phone case for your new phone. I think I've probably spent 10 hours easy in the last two weeks trying to find a new phone case for my phone. I even ordered one, had it delivered to my house, and it, like, it wasn't the right one, so I had to send it back. Right? See how this dissatisfaction works? There's this great text in the Bible, it's Hebrews 4.15, and it talks about Jesus. Because Jesus also felt weary. I don't know if you knew that. Hebrews 4.15 says this, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faces, faced all the same testings we did, yet he did not sin. Well, when did, when did Jesus get weary? What did that look like in his life? And this is, Matthew chapter 11, which we're going to talk a little bit about before we do some reading. So Matthew 11 begins with this reminder that, um, that John the Baptist is in prison. And John the Baptist hears about all of these things that, that Jesus is doing, all the things that the, the supposed Messiah was doing. And I say supposed because, because John um, is in jail and he can't figure out like why he's still in jail. So John sends his disciples to go and talk to Jesus. And the question that, that they're supposed to ask Jesus is, are you the Messiah or should we wait for somebody else? Are you the Messiah, Jesus, or should we wait for someone else? Because logically, he's wondering if Jesus is the Messiah, why is he still in prison? And I think for some of us, as we think about like the fact that we should be further along in our relationship with God. We should be further along in our Christianity, in our faithfulness, in our obedience. Like Jesus has given all of these, these things and we're wondering like why he hasn't come through yet. Anyone else feel that way? Those are the things I think about. Like why hasn't Jesus delivered? And this is John's headspace because he's in jail. So are you really the Messiah? And Jesus responds by repeating promises from the Old Testament. He says this, well, you go back and you tell John these things. He says, go back and tell him the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is preached to the poor. Well, see, if you are familiar with the Old Testament, you know that there's kind of a key little phrase that's missing from, from Jesus's retelling all of this. And that phrase is this, and the prisoners will be freed. 
See, so when Jesus responds in this way, like you can just imagine John's disciples get back to prison and he's like, what did Jesus say? And they start to go through the list. And then they get to the end and you can kind of imagine like in your, in your mind's eye, like John's like, well, did he say anything about prisoners being freed? And the answer is no. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he reorients their brains about the identity of John the Baptist. And he tells them essentially that John the Baptist was pointing to me and he's confronting their expectations. And this is, this is one of the reasons why we called this series Unexpected. And it's why we're talking about like all of the different ways that Jesus is revealed for who he really is. Because I think one of our tendencies is to think that if we lived back in Jesus's day and we saw the same things that all of these other people thought, because we're so much better than them, like we would have gotten it. We would have understood the reality of who Jesus was. But that's not true because they didn't get it. So Jesus is going to reorient them. And I think one of the things that Jesus does here is he demonstrates some weariness. Let's listen to verses 7 through 24. As Jesus's as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare your, your way before you. I tell you the truth, all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets in the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And I think now we're, we're starting to get this little sense of Jesus's weariness of dealing with all of these people. He says, to what can I compare this generation? Here's Jesus's weariness. It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complained to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you say he's possessed by a demon. Do you hear Jesus's weariness? The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Then Jesus goes into full weariness mode. He says, then Jesus began to denounce the towns where he had done so many miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have long repented of, they would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in burlap and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, will you be honored in heaven? No, you'll go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would still be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. Do you see Jesus' weariness in this text? 
went through and made a list. And I think, I think Jesus was weary of being questioned. I think Jesus was weary of the expectations of other people. I think Jesus was, was weary of being misunderstood. I think Jesus was weary of being attacked. I think Jesus was weary of not being accepted. I think Jesus was weary of complainers. I think Jesus was weary of the lack of repentance that he saw. And at the root of each of these things, of Jesus, the things that Jesus is weary about of other people, I think is the same sin of mine. It's pride and arrogance. A willing, willingly ignoring the reality of who Jesus is. And I think this makes Jesus weary. And the question that we have to ask is, what, what does Jesus do with this weariness? What do you do with your weariness? Like, we buy new things when we are weary. For that temporary, for that temporary high. For that temporary good feeling. We go out and we go out to eat. We put others down when we're feeling weary. Anything that we can do to lift ourselves up from our weariness, we engage in, but not Jesus. This is verse 25. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My father's entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father, and no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. What I love about this is Jesus prays. He acknowledges the reality of God's plan as, as something that's separate than what our plans are. He acknowledges the pride and the arrogance of people who ignore him. And what he's really doing is he's acknowledging the reality of people who don't know who God is. So this is what we talked about last week. This is, the, this is the bridge from what we talked about last week to this week. These people didn't know who God's character was. They didn't know who God was. They thought they had God all figured out, but they had no idea who he really was. And if we don't understand the character of God, if we don't know who God is, like who he is, what he's like, how does he behave? How does he respond? If we don't know who he is, then we're going to miss him because we can't love someone we don't know and we'll never be able to be obedient to someone that we don't love. So the whole point of this story being placed where it is, is, is the character and the identity of who God is. Pointing to John the Baptist, pointing to Jesus so that they can see who God is. Jesus is like, John, can't you see all the justice that's taking place here? The deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. This is exactly what your scripture said was going to happen. What do you mean, am I the Messiah? These things are taking place. 
John, don't miss it. People don't miss this. What God is doing is he's restoring his people because of who he is. Jesus is orienting us. He's orienting these people to who God is. Again, I know we talked about this last week. but We need to understand who God is. In the midst of our weariness, we need to know who God is. We need to know his character. He praises God and then he invites them into the life that God desires for them. And this is the end of this text. Then Jesus said, come to me. So Jesus prays and and he prayed this in front of all of the people. So just kind of imagine that for a moment. Jesus stops, he prays, and then Jesus said, come to me, he's talking to the crowd. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And here's what Jesus is saying. The only way into this kingdom, the only way to participate into this kingdom, is for you to bring your burdens and your weariness to me and take what I give you. As I was reading and rereading through this text um, again this morning, like I noticed something in the NLT, that it doesn't say that, that they're supposed to bring their burdens and their, and their weights and they're supposed to leave them with Jesus and then take this other thing with them that he gives them. So, because I knew I was going to hear about this from Dave Robinson, um, I looked in another translation, a translation that I know Dave is really confident with, and strangely, it didn't say anything either about leaving those burdens behind. See, what if I told you, and this is one of those things where a few weeks ago, I said, sometimes I, I'm going to be careful how I phrase this. Sometimes I'm not sure that Christianity works. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not sure that Christianity works in the way that we think it should. And here's how we think it should work. After 26 years of being a Christian, my life should be easier. My life should be more fulfilled. My life should be fill in the blank of wherever you think you should be at 26 years later. See, when we think about Christianity working in that way, then Christianity doesn't work. If we were to read through the Bible, we would see example after example after example after example of people dealing with hardships and realities. So if, you're, if your thought in becoming a follower of Christ is, I'm going to make this decision, and then my life is going to be easy for the rest of my life, I'm in. I hate to give you some really bad news, but that's not the way it works. Because the people who are responding to my question about what makes you weary, they were all Christians, So what do we get? What do we get for this? Well, we get something from Jesus. We get his yoke. We get his teaching. Amidst the weariness of our lives, we get something else. But it's not going to be burdensome. See, he's not giving us something that's hard. And I know that some of us are challenged by that, that Jesus isn't giving us something hard. But it's not hard. Well, why? He tells us. 
He says, because I am humble and gentle. See, that's his character. This is why we need to know who Jesus is. Because if I'm going to take something that's supposed to help me with my life, I need to know the character of the person giving it to me. I need to know the reality of the person giving it to me. And because he is humble and because he's gentle, he gives us rest for our souls. So we bring those things to him. And he gives us something. He gives us himself. He gives us his character. He gives us his identity. He gives us his teachings. And then those are the things that we, we cling to. Those are the things that we hold on to. Because when we know him, we love him. And we love him, we obey, obey him. Because we can trust him in the midst of our weariness. Because we know who he is. We know that he is with us in the midst of our weariness. And this is where Isaiah 50 comes in. This is Isaiah 50 verses 4 and 5. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom. So this is talking about the Messiah. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I've listened. I've not rebelled or turned away. How does Jesus comfort us? Is this just like pull myself up by my own bootstraps Christianity version? Is this just some mystical words that I tell myself so I feel good? How does Jesus comfort us? Well, it says that Jesus comforts the weary through the words of wisdom from the sovereign Lord. So then the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we know the words of wisdom from the sovereign Lord? Do you know the words of wisdom from the sovereign Lord? I'm not asking you if you've memorized a verse. I'm asking you. I'm asking me. Are God's words like stamped on my brain? Stamped in my soul. So when I'm, when I'm feeling weary, when I'm feeling weary, I know where to turn. I know where, where God's comfort is, where God's hope is. And that's that second part. God, Jesus comforts the weary through the way God opens his understanding of God's will. See, we can read this and not be transformed by it. You've probably experienced that. See, there's a way to read through the Bible and not be transformed by it. There's a way to know what it says without knowing who Jesus is. That was the problem in Matthew. They knew all of the texts. If we were to read through all the Gospels and, man, how many times have we talked about this? Like, there's a way to know who Jesus is and not know him. So these words, do we know what they mean? Not just do we know what they say, but do we know what they mean? And that only happens through the Holy Spirit. So for some of us, and this was certainly, this was certainly me before I became a Christian. This is, this is going to be, this might be kind of a challenging concept for us. Um, the Bible tells us that before we are believers, 
in Christ, we do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. That doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's not working around you and, and sort of orchestrating things and putting people into your life and doing all of those things and, and opening your ears a little bit and, and making you a little more aware of who he is. But unless, unless you are a follower of Jesus, and this is the controversial part, unless you're a follower of Jesus, there is going to be a ceiling on your ability to understand what the Bible says. That's what Jesus means when he talks about people who, who have ears to hear but can't hear, who have eyes to see but can't see. See, there's a ceiling. There's a limitation. So it may be that the reason you can't understand what the Bible has to say is that you're not a follower of Christ. Because you haven't actually accepted him into your life. And I know you've come to church every week when the doors are open. You've gone to Bible study. You participate in the Bible reading plan. Right? You do all of those things. But the reality is, unless you, unless you have the spirit dwelling inside of you, you, you you're going to hit a ceiling. And the thing to unlocking that is that entrance into God's kingdom, which is following Jesus. See, Romans 12 tells us, that, that we're not going to conform to the patterns of this world, but we're going to be renewed in our minds so that we can know God's will for us. So this is another question. And like, these are all the things, like I think I've got 15 more years here at Westway Christian Church. We'll get to this at some point. Um, but you're not going to know God's will unless your mind is transformed. And one of the things that I... I've seen so many times in, in my time in ministry and working with believers as people who, like, they just desperately want to know what God's will is for their lives. And the problem is, is their mind hasn't been transformed. So they, they want the fruit without the root. It's not going to happen. And we have... We have such an amazing level of access to God's word. It's all, it's all right here. He continues. I'm going to reread verse five. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me I've, and I've listened. I've not rebelled or turned away. See, what I would challenge you in this morning is you will only receive the comfort through God's words and the knowledge of his will if you do three things. If you listen When you read the Bible, are you listening? Are you listening? If we do not rebel, when you read the Bible and it challenges you, that might be your cue that God is telling you something. That's not the time to close your Bible. That's the time to lean into it. And then lastly, we only receive this comfort through the words of wisdom and understanding if we don't turn away. See, this is our responsibility. This is where, this is where Christianity doesn't work. Because I think what we would rather happen is, I, talk, I know I use the matrix example all the time. 
Like we would rather just some plug go into the back of our brain and download all of the information and we will be magically transformed into God's people. Don't mishear me. We're justified. God sees us through the blood of Christ and we are his people when we acknowledge him as Lord. But our responsibility then is to be obedient because we know his character, we love him, and then we have to be obedient to him. And I think ultimately, this is why some of us, maybe many of us are weary. Like if I'm honest about what my sins are, the root of my sins, my own pride and my own arrogance and my idolatry and my covetousness, That's me not listening to God. That's me rebelling against God, and it's me turning away from God. See, my problem isn't that I don't know what it says. And quite frankly, my problem isn't that I don't know what it means. My problem is the same problem that many of you have. We are sinful people who are being transformed into Christ, and that's a grind. It's going to require daily work, daily effort. And I think many of us try to take the burdens of life on ourselves. We try to fix ourselves. We try to fix others. We think that we are the functional savior of ourselves. We try to be the functional savior of other people. But see, these verses in Isaiah are about Jesus And we see how he confronted these things. We see how Jesus confronted these realities. This is verses 6 through 9. I offered my back to those who beat me. This is Isaiah 50. And my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery or spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like a stone, determined to do his will. And I know I will not be put to shame. He who gives me justice is near. Who will dare to bring charges against me now? Where are my accusers? Let them appear. See, the sovereign Lord is on my side. Who will declare me guilty? All my enemies will be destroyed like old clothes that have been eaten by moths. So this is Jesus' response to weariness. He knows who he is because he knows the Father. We read that in Matthew chapter 11. He knows who the Father is. He knows who he is so he can be obedient. And right now, some of you are like, oh, that's great. Well, that's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I got some really great news for you. You're right. You're not Jesus. So I have a suggestion. Let Jesus be Jesus. Let Jesus do the work. Jesus willingly suffered on our behalf. Willingly suffered on our behalf that we might find rest. That we might take our burdens to him. That we might take our weariness to him so that we can receive rest. That we can receive hope. And once we receive that, our call is to live like him. Our call is to be obedient to him. It's not to not carry those burdens with us, but to carry Jesus's burden with us. I want to read to you Romans 8, verses 31 to 39. 
I want these verses to like burrow into your heart today. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Do you see how this kind of sounds very similar to what we just read in Isaiah? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us? Let me find my list here. Does it mean he no longer loves us? if we are in the midst of a lack of sleep? Does he mean that he doesn't no longer loves us if I have a family member who dies and then I add a cancer diagnosis on top of that? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if I'm overcommitted? Does it mean he no longer loves us if I have a year-long physical recovery and I have to learn to do everything on my own when my husband passed away? Does it mean he no longer loves us when the weight of life's demands bear down on my soul? Does it mean he no longer loves us if my children have medical issues? Verse 37. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing. Listen, some of you need to hear this today. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, this is what it means for us to take on this yoke and to live it out. For us to recognize that no matter how crappy our lives get, we have someone who is, who is on our behalf who has won victory for us and he has died for us so that we can have hope so that we can live amidst those realities. That's why Jesus came. He came to give hope. He came to give rest to the weary because he is that rest. If, if you don't know what that looks like, will you talk to somebody today about this? I mean, we've got just, we've got like another week of Christmas, just like, just so you know. We've got another week that we have to get through this season. And I'm choosing those words carefully. Because for some of you, it's just getting through this. And the thing that's going to get you through it is not an extra hour of sleep this week, because we all know you're not going to get it. 
It's not going to be choosing to eat healthier food because we all know we're not going to do that this week. The thing that's going to get us through it is resting and trusting in Jesus Christ. And my hope for you and my prayer for you, like as I read those things this week, what I love about seeing all of those things, well, what I hate about seeing all of those things is just the realities of things that you're going through. Burdens my soul. But what I love is now I know what to pray for. Now we know what to pray for. Let's do that right now. God, you are, you are amazing in your grace for giving us your son, Jesus. Your son, Jesus, was not immune to weariness. We are not immune to weariness. The difference between us and Jesus is Jesus actually did something about it. He actually fixed our weariness through bringing justice and restoring his people and and giving rest to the weary. I pray, God, that we would not just, just write these words off as just more Christian stuff that we tell ourselves to make us feel better. But that we would accept these words, that we would listen to them, that we would not rebel, that we would not walk away. That what we would see is your son on the cross for us so that we could find rest. We could find hope. We would grow in our endurance. We would grow in our obedience. We would grow in our love and we would grow in our understanding of who you are. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.